Hey there, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today I'm talking to someone who's figured out exactly how to build a successful business around the concept of self-care. Sidi Ramirez is the founder of Chill House, a cafe slash spa that's uber popular with all the cool kids in the Lower East Side of New York City. Sidi has built a business that, at face value, might just seem like a really pretty spa offering massages, the kind of manicures that are ready-made for Instagram. And it is, but it goes beyond that. She's also built a company and brand dedicated to self-care. We know that the spa industry needs some invigoration, definitely. But what about like grooming for women? Like when I go get my nails done, why can't I buy a matcha? Why can't I get like a good latte? Why am I just like, sometimes they give me tea. So all of these kind of dynamics came together for us and it was very obvious that something needed to come together here. Welcome to Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. On today's show, Cindy and I talk about how to market your business, how to build your brand, how to build an audience, and how to scale that business. Also, how to get money from other people. Here's our conversation. Cindy, welcome to Girlboss Radio. Thanks, Sophia. So just full disclosure, I'm a friend of Cindy's and an advisor at Chill House. So it's kind of like it was my first like advisor role in a way. I hope I've been helpful. You've been so helpful. Okay. So honored. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. I like to start the episode. I'm going back to my original beginning question on Girlboss Radio. And that was... Cindy, what was your first job? Ooh, my first job was, well, I was actually a model and actor. I know that you were too, right? When you were younger. It's funny, we have that in common. But um, I was a child actor and model when I was really young, like early teens. So I still like to think of that as my first job, even though it wasn't like a traditional job. But my first like real job job, like working hourly somewhere was at a tanning salon. I was trying to work somewhere near my house. Um, I lived like deep in Queens, um, like kind of towards like closer to Long Island. And I was trying to work at the tanning salon, like two blocks from my house. And they were like, well, we don't need anybody here. Can you work at our like Long Island location? It's it's about, you know, 30 miles away. And uh, yeah, you'd have to drive there every day. I was like, oh, shit. So I like <laughs> I worked pretty far away um, at this tanning salon for like seven dollars an hour. And looking back, I'm like, what? What was I thinking? I was basically running the joint. I was the only person there. How old were you? I was like 16. And you were going to school, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't know. I think I lasted maybe six months before I realized I was a real sucker. And then um, I think I actually started working in retail afterwards, like a, a fashion retail job. That was my second like hourly job. Is there anything that you learned from your early tanning salon experience that you've taken <laughs> with you into what you're doing now? Uh, tanning salons are bad for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, just, you know, I think just treat those employees with respect. Like, you know, your young employees, like I look at my receptionist now and I think back at those days, those days where I was making like, you know, a very modest living and how my relationship was with the founder. It wasn't a good one. So I, I like to think back on those days like now when I'm, you know, actually the boss of some of these girls going through the same thing, you know, how would they like to be treated? So yeah, in a way... I did learn that, right, in some capacity. And did you know what you wanted to be when you were a teenager? Did you want to continue being a model actor? Obviously, you didn't want to operate a tanning salon. (laughs) Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do? No, I didn't. I thought maybe, okay, the acting, modeling could take me so far. Um, I stopped growing. (laughs) I was always short, but I I think at some point, you know, your looks can only get you (laughs) to a certain age bracket in modeling. Um, So I did a little commercial stuff and that was all fun. Um, But, you know, commercial modeling, unless you're like really focused on becoming an actor at some point, it doesn't really get you too far, right? You can make a good living for sure, but I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to be ultimately. So I had a hard time during a lot of my teenage years trying to figure out what my passion was, what my calling was. Um, I've always been into fashion though. That was the one thing that like I I was a great consumer. I was a great shopper. My mom and I always bonded through shopping. That was like our, you know, our Sundays were spent, you know, hanging out at Saks kind of thing, which is definitely a luxury. (laughs) We, we, uh, she was financially well off at the time. I grew up definitely like loving the fashion industry and I thought maybe that could be my, my route. But again, never knew if I was very passionate in it, just knew I was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So I did end up going to school for fashion marketing because that felt at the time like it made the most sense for me while also kind of going on these little auditions here and there and keeping that going for for the money. But I was playing around between the two for quite some time. And entrepreneurship runs in your family. Your mom and you have something else in common, and it's that you've both built your own businesses. Is that right? Yeah, my mom has been an esthetician and has owned her own space or has her own practice for over 30 years now, like kind of immediately into moving to the States. Um, She found like a little room inside an existing salon. I think they did hair there or nails there. I'm not really sure. I forget. But she started just with one uh, bed and like just started doing facials out of there and then um, slowly but surely built up a clientele opened up a bigger space, at one point had three locations, and then now has one, but, you know, sustains herself with it and um, has been in the same space, actually. It was pretty much the same space. It was just a couple blocks down, but same block, basically, since, you know, the 80s. Do you go to her for your facials? I do. I go and I get, like, my more intense stuff. Sometimes I'll be lazy and I want to just get services in, in Manhattan, but since she's in Queens, it's a little far for me. But I get like my micro, my laser, I get endermology, which is basically oh like a lymphatic drain. I know, I know. It's nice. For when we were in the wedding planning process, I was going to her pretty heavily. And it's it's nice to go when you have time to or when you're focused on making like real changes to your body and your skin. But also great for upkeep, of course. That is some expensive those are some perks. That those are Yep. And to start young is always always good. And so you started Taste the Style in 2013, which is pretty early in the world of blogging Mm -hmm. and social media. How long into doing it did 
it become a money-making venture? And what was your idea initially when you started it? Yeah, so a random fact, and I don't think I know the exact year that I really started the concept, but Taste the Style was really like this small little restaurant review site back before I even knew what a blog was. Like 2013 may sound early, that's six years ago. Like this was even like this was six years before that or like five years before that. And it was like an hideous, it was a hideous site uh, written fairly poorly. I feel like my writing skills were shit in my early 20s. Um, (laughs) They've gotten better. They're not great, but like they've gotten better for sure. And so I had this little restaurant review site back you know, when I was like 22 or so. And I had a few readers. I definitely had like a little like base. Actually, Adam, my husband, he used to read it all the time. And so he brought it up to me later on in life. He was like, whatever happened to that site? Like, do you ever think about actually doing it right this time around and maybe incorporating style? I was like, yeah, I think about it all the time. I just don't know how to do it or how to really like, what's the position? Like now there's all these other sites that kind of have come up and how do I differentiate myself? So he kind of gave me that uh, boost of confidence I needed to really get it off the ground again and do it right and and make it about, you know, me and my, what I like, where I like to go, what I like to eat, like just my lifestyle, right? Um, but it, of course, as I'm sure you know, media takes a long time. I mean, we, I'm, I was nobody, like, how do people find me? I don't even know. How did I even, like, build up a following? I don't even know. It took a long time to get to the point where I was monetizing. Actually, I feel like the last two years of it being around, I, like, finally started monetizing it. And it wasn't even that much, you know. It was it was enough to sustain my small salary, but it wasn't enough to really hire anybody or anything like that. I think one of the tricks to building a brand or building an audience is in some ways to fake it till you make it or to just have something that looks bigger than it is. You know, if you make something look super legit, people will believe it's super legit and they'll follow you. Mm -hmm. I think you've done a really good job of that over the course of your career now that you are legit, but that's that's how I started. That's how a lot of us start. And if you do a good job of it and you really make it great and you are very precise about how you build your brand, it can go a long way. Totally. And so you said you know, it was time to end it. Tell me about, you know, your decision to move on from Taste the Style, how you got there. And I know the origins of Chill House are somewhere in there. So let's start with Chill House and then mm-hmm. tell me what Taste the Style became eventually. So Chill House, you know, the past few years of my life have kind of been a blur. Um, while I had Taste the Style, my husband was also opening up these bars and I was so inspired by what he was doing and I asked to be a partner. So I'm pretty much the only female partner in in that hospitality business and I have watched the guys, you know, do so much throughout the years and it got to a point where I was like, you know, I feel so invested in hospitality again. Like I, I love this industry. I grew up working in bars. I grew up working in spaces, not just working like in media, you know, media to me is still such a foreign concept. I I do, I feel like I understand hospitality more than anything. So what can I own that's mine, you know, with your help, of course, because I didn't know the first thing about opening up a space. So I knew pretty early in that I wanted to do something, but only until a few years later did I finally find what 
was the thing that we needed to open up together. How did you get the idea for Chill House? Where, where, what was that spark? Like I said, I've always thought I wanted to do something that was a physical space, but you know, I find it some of these brick and mortars, I'm like, wow, it's so scary to have a physical location sometimes that just relies on people coming in and buying product. So I, I, I held off for a while on like, you know, really pushing forward with any ideas until something really stuck. And so one day it was like out of nowhere, Adam and I, you know, we were trying to find a place to get massages, really didn't like her options in New York. It was either, you know, we went to some like seedy kind of very cheap, like not appropriate establishment, or, you know, you splurge on like a luxury um, massage experience. And then all of a sudden I have to check out and I feel really guilty and bad about myself because I just spent $300 with gratuity and all that after all is said and done. I, you know, I was not in a financial place to spend that kind of money on my self-care at the time. And and I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I feel like I want to indulge that much. You know, I think there are ways to do it where it's more cost effective. So that got us talking about you know, the industry in general, the spa industry, and how there wasn't a place in New York that we felt spoke to us, mainly me, because I was obviously more um, invested in my beauty and, and you know, uh, self-care practice, you know, throughout my life than he is, I'd say. He does like facial oils, and that's about the extent of it. But yeah, so I basically was, when that happened, I was like, babe, like, there's something here. You know, we really need to explore this. And then we kind of wrapped our heads around what else was out there in New York. And we talked about like spaces like Blind Barber and Three Seat Espresso. And if you're not familiar with the, if you're not familiar with like downtown New York, you may not really know these places, but they're more male centric establishments around grooming and hospitality. And I was like, okay, yes, okay, we know that the spa industry needs some invigoration, definitely. But what about like, grooming for women like why can't I go when I go get my nails done why can't I buy a matcha why can't I get like a coffee like a good latte why am I just like sometimes they give me tea so all of these kind of dynamics came together for us and it was very obvious that something needed to come together here um so those three that's how it it all kind of came together really was because nails for me is like how I practice weekly self-care cafe, you know, I truly think that relaxation starts with a drink in hand. It's that first indicator, that first prompt. Massage, of course, is kind of part of the origin story, but also it's how I, my ultimate form of self-care and relaxation. Love me a good massage. Hey guys, if you don't know about it, we have our fifth ever Girl Boss Rally coming up here in Los Angeles on the UCLA campus. We're all going to go back to school. This is the school of life for you. We're going to bring together 2,300 women from dozens of countries to hear a hundred of the most inspiring, accomplished entrepreneurs, business leaders, and industry experts over the course of two days here in sunny Los Angeles this June 29th and 30th. If you want to learn more and register for the Girl Boss Rally, just go to girlbossrally.com. See you there. Chill House is currently one space, but the brand itself, I think, has been really influential. 
How did you do that? And what were the first things you did to to establish the brand and the, the business? Like while we were working on the business plan, we were also kind of working on finding the space. I'd say the two were working hand in hand. We needed to have an understanding of the industry. So we did a lot of research as to, you know, how financially everything modeled out for, you know, massage, nails and cafe. We did a lot of research on that all while, you know, searching for the dream location that could house these three services. So we finally found that perfect layout from their newer rent, newer model, okay, go time. We finalized the business plan and we started raising. And it's a little scary, you know. We raised on like a friends and family with a lot of like our existing investors from the properties, from the other properties, and some friends of mine as well. But it's a little scary when you're like trying to find a space and don't really, you know, have like like the process of like maybe signing a lease but not signing a lease because you don't know if you're going to have the money like all of that. So I just remember that being a very stressful situation. And same with like flagship, you know, we we went through the same thing this year. So they're they're both like very hand in hand sort of processes, so it's definitely tricky, but I feel like you definitely need to be confident and know that you're going to get it done and just kind of be aggressive and go for it. So that's kind of how it got off the ground. The branding process was um I knew like for as much as I thought I was like a good brand builder and, you know, I've only really built a couple of small brands. I, I still consider Taste of Style a small business, of course. And I, you know, I had a couple of other tiny businesses that I don't really talk about because they didn't last too long. But, you know, I've done the branding process a few times, but never with like an agency, always with just like me and my like one graphic designer that I've been working with for so many years, just like throwing out ideas, boards, mood boards, et cetera, et cetera. So this time around, I was like, okay, I, I want to do this right. And, and not to say that like my one, you know, graphic designer can't do it. I just felt that I needed a team that I've never worked with before. Someone that uh, has like a fresh perspective on, you know, on everything. And especially a fresh perspective without being influenced by what they think I may like. You know what I mean? So we realized pretty quickly that we wanted to hire an agency to do the branding process. And they, I mean, I feel like because we worked with them, it really helped set the tone for what Chill House is now. They they really help round out the brand from a, a 360 perspective, of course, with like a lot of my input, but um, they did things in ways that I probably would have never been able to accomplish on my own. You know, what I've learned over the course of time is I love doing stuff in-house. I love being really close to the creative, but can it can also become a little bit of an echo chamber where when you work with freelancers and creatives on the outside, agencies or individuals, they're out there seeing a lot more variety than someone who's within your four walls and they can bring in a fresh perspective that, like you said, you may never otherwise have. So I think that's really interesting. I knew right away that I wanted to do nail art as like one of the things that we were known for was doing nail art because I knew that I wanted the brand to have or I wanted our services to kind of have a life of their own, to have their own brand identity. So I started talking to a friend of mine, Ida, who did our original nail book and still kind of like helps us out with a lot of projects. Um, But she was the one who introduced me to her boyfriend, now fiance, soon to be husband. And that's who did our branding. So because she did our nail designs, kind of 
adjacent to the branding process, which I feel like tied everything together so nicely. You know, had I've had another nail art artist that kind of had a very clear aesthetic and then a branding agency that had a very different aesthetic, like obviously that wouldn't have aligned too well. So I feel like it was just this amazing kind of synchronization of people that like really understood brand, really understood uh, had high taste level and, you know, we were able to collaborate really well together. So you open your doors, you have an amazing brand. How did you build an audience digitally and how did you get people to walk in? Great question. I mean, you never know, right? It's so scary. I had built up a little bit of an Instagram audience prior to opening. I definitely say to a lot of entrepreneurs trying to launch something and that have that question, do I launch the Instagram or not? I'm like, yes, absolutely. So we had about like 8,000 followers uh, prior to opening up the doors and they were all very hyped. They were all very curious as to what Chill House was because we were super vague up until the very last minute, which I feel like that little element of mystery definitely helps brands create you know, uh, demand, create excitement. Um, and so I, I credit that a lot, of course. And then, you know, I, I'm, I don't know how ethical this is, but I'm not shy about it. I definitely utilize our Taste of Style subscribers. I like hit them up with this new business, you know, um, all that. I it's think totally it's like, ethical. That's totally <laughs> I don't know ethical, what the, by the, way. the real rules are you anymore. You do what you can with what you have. Exactly. I mean, I already had everything. I already had a following. Luckily, you know, all of those things definitely help. Having gone through this a few times with businesses that were not as successful, I've definitely been able to utilize my network, you know, to make this business successful. So I had a bit of a leg up, I'd say, as someone that, you know, has been in you know the New York circuit for a little bit for sure but PR also I think was a huge part of it we had an amazing publicist come on board like a month or two prior help us round out our story help us really like shape what the you know what the talking points and everything was going to be um, and secured a lot of really amazing hits um, prior to even opening up the door I think this is a very specific question but PR seems to be kind of a nebulous thing to a lot of people because you don't know what you're getting for. You could spend the money on advertising, you could spend the money on event or marketing or anything else. PR is like, will it work? Will it not work? Are they on retainer? You can't pay them based on their performance, right? You pay them, then they go do their best. Yeah, not usually. I think some some people are okay with that on an ongoing basis. I don't know. I can't speak on behalf of publicists. Yeah, no, usually you just pay them and yeah. hope you know, cross your fingers. Yes. For a small business, when you're launching, how much do you think someone should afford to pay a publicist? Ooh, that's a really tough question. It depends on how big the project is, what your expectations are, all of that. I'd say for a really small brand, be prepared to spend anywhere from 3000 and up for a good publicist. If it's a newer publicist, junior, someone that is going to be, you know, doing very light outreach, then you can probably get it for for less. But, uh, you know, I think it's important, especially for launch, to have some cash set aside for this. You, it's, you only get to launch once. And I know there have been amazing success stories that have come out of, like, 
no publicists needed, no public, like, and they've, but it, it, sometimes it takes them a long time to build up, you know? So it depends for us. We had no option. We had to get customers through the door. You know, we had no time to dilly dally, like rent was due within the month. Right. So for us, it, there was no option. We had to go big or go home. If you don't have that overhead, that like monthly, you know, building dangling over your head, then yeah, you can definitely, you know, be more conservative in how you spend towards your marketing efforts. But, you know, you have to kind of weigh out what your needs are versus what, you know, your hopefully your expectations are, if that makes sense. And you've also moved into products. So a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, retail, I'd say. Yeah. Tell me about that. Retail was a decision made based on, well, I mean, when we first opened up the doors, we were already kind of selling other people's products. You know, we had a cafe, we had little snacks, we had drinks that weren't ours. So you start already kind of developing, you know, a relationship with brands and a relationship with vendors that you want to support and that um, help shape your space, your physical space. For me, it's just where my curiosity took me and it took me into kind of expanding, you know, this brand into retail. And also because we had an audience that was outside of New York City and how else can you reach them without this like big capex, you know? Ecom is a good way to go. It's not like a huge investment. It's definitely a decent investment, but it's definitely not as much as opening up another space. So we wanted to do something new, you know, where we can kind of capture clientele from all over the country in ways that we can't do that quickly with a brick and mortar space. So of course, I'd love to do that one day. But you know, it's kind of like this in between pillar for us and this baby step pillar that for us allowed us to open up the brand tremendously, I'd say. And for the record, for our listeners, CapEx just means spending money. It's capital expenditure. Then there's raising money, which you mentioned briefly, but I know that's something you guys have done. You said initially it was friends and family. Have you raised more money? What has that process been like? What would your advice be for someone who's looking up at, okay, I want to start a business. I can't just you know, open an Etsy store. I need to sign a lease. I need money up front for that. How do you go about doing that? Oh, it's so hard. Honestly, I, it takes so much time. Um, I'm not good at fundraising and I don't know if I'll ever be. It's a stressful, it's the most stressful part of the business, I'd say, hands down. We've only taken in friends and family and angel capital. So basically, you know, smaller checks, you know, we haven't gone into the millions yet at all. And that kind of helps me stay a little bit more grounded, I'd say, just having, you know, being very on top of our financials because we don't have this like big VC paycheck that came in out of nowhere. But for anyone that's just starting out, I mean, that doesn't have access to rich friends or people that have, you know, entrepreneurs that have, you know, or angel investors now and X, Y, and Z is, you know, there are ways to get loans, you know, like we've definitely looked into that as well. And, you know, a lot of people actually do that to open up spaces, which I, you know, I don't know if enough people talk about that. It's kind of funny. Um, I, ha- I have a couple of friends that are like, oh, yeah, I just do like SBA loans. And I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, I didn't know that you can really do that. I just thought, like, I did never even thought of that as an option. You know what I mean? Like, I always ever knew raising money from friends. Um, so there are multiple ways to do it. I'm probably not the best person to talk about it because I only know the one route. Um, we're still exploring how we want to, you know, do our, like, actual 
Series A round. I think we'll know more next year, like early next year, based on the performance of Flagship. I think we'll be in good shape to go out for that round. But um, we're still pretty fresh to the fundraising game, I'd say. So this last year, I mean, you've been really helpful, of course. You introduced us to so many people. But it became very clear that we just weren't ready for that round of investment. So um, we scaled back and then we kind of just went back to the drawing board and, and did this kind of bridge round that actually people have been like, just call it a seed. I'm like, I don't know what the difference mm-hmm. is, to be honest. <laughs> seed sounds like you're not going to you weren't going to run out of money. Bridge sounds like you need money to get to the next round. But exactly. It's not it's both of them are totally fine. Yeah. I, I don't know. If they, I think that's like there's something around the psychology around fundraising that I haven't really gotten a grasp on yet. It's all pretty annoying. Yeah. Uh, and so you have signed a lease on a new space. Tell me about what's next for Chill House. Oh, I'm so excited. We just signed a lease. So I don't know if I should say where it is, but it's in New York. Sorry to my LA friends. We have a lot of requests to come out to LA. And I will say that's definitely the second city that I hope to be in. But we really wanted to get the model right. There were a lot of little hiccups, I'd say, with the first location. Like we forgot we needed a little break room for staff, you know, like our staff needs a place to hang out. That's one mistake that we made. Another mistake is that we don't have pedicure because there's downtime a lot of times for some of these nail technicians because someone's like, done with their manicure in 30 minutes and then you know they may not have a reservation for another hour and a half like it's it's just it's logical to have pedicure so there were a couple of little things in the model that I'd say are broken um, with the existing space that we actually are going to fix within that space too so we're going to try to mirror them as much as we possibly can within like you know the size restrictions of course with both spaces but as far I don't know what I can say that's coming soon with that space but I will say there will be a couple more services being added things that you already know and love and just um a bigger a bigger property and more more of an offering for our members so membership is going to be a huge part of our growth model I'd say um, our goal is to definitely have about, you know, over 50% membership and really cultivate a community, an even bigger community than we have now through membership, um, through physical space, through physical events, um, and, you know, fun happenings that way or, or fun member perks and stuff like that. So I just definitely expect a loftier, brighter, even more awesome. They were both awesome, but even more special space, I think, and um, more things to be chilled by chill wait yeah and you're good at naming things you also have other chill things right chill pills chill we don't have chill pills what do we have <laughs> i mean so the thing the thing that i do love about the branding process is that well one of the things that i love that they they kind of created for us was this idea of like four letter words around everything we do and while we can't always stick to that we've tried our hardest so like chill cafe, chill nail, chill body. You know, if we do something else service-wise, it may have four words and I can't, you can probably guess to what that is, maybe. Chill Hmm. face. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, we, we try to be playful with the word chill and hope that people, when they see chill, they remember chill house. 
Uh, there's a couple other questions I ask everybody who comes on Girl Boss Radio. Um, and one of them is this concept of success. What is success? Uh-huh. What does that mean? Is it money? Is it wellness? Is it all of the above? What does success mean for you right now? <sighs> I mean, I think probably everybody says this, that it's always changing. The meaning is always changing. But the way I want to look at it forever is just success equals happiness. And what does that mean uh, for me at the time? Just that self-reflection of like checking in, am I happy? Then great, I'm successful. You know, but there are there, there are two different sides of success, one of which is what I just said, I think, measuring it through happiness and the other one measuring it through financial reasons, I mean, or, you know, financially measuring it. And if you can find a way (laughs) to have both of those meet somewhere where you're comfortable and other people define you as successful and you define yourself as successful, then that is the ultimate success, of course. I, if I had to really look, you know, reflect, and I, I do this, I try to check in with myself, of course, a lot. I am 100% successful, I'd say, because I'm happy, I'm healthy, I have amazing friends, I have an amazing husband, an amazing dog, an amazing job, you know, things I, I have so much love, things that I love, and I have so many things, so much love around me too. Do, does that mean like the rest of my life is figured out? No, of course not. You know, does that mean something shitty can happen tomorrow? Of course, you know? So I think success is just checking in with yourself and finding if you're happy. And if the answer is yes, then you're successful. I love that answer because so many people have great answers, but none of them just say, you know what? I am successful. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good. I have a lot of things to be grateful for. That's Mm -hmm. my definition of success. And it's actually a really, really simple thing. So I think that's inspiring. And I didn't want to ever admit to myself that I was successful um, because I'm like, oh, I don't make that kind of money where someone would like deem me successful. But so many people say to me, Cindy, you're successful. Like you have a successful business. And I'm like, I don't believe it. No, what are you talking about? But you know, the more you think of it, you get into that mindset of happiness equals success, then you'll start to believe it. <laughs> I think that's really inspiring. Last question. We have this thing called girl boss moments, which I think you already know what that is. So I'm not going to explain it. Cindy, what was your most recent girl boss moment? I mean, it wasn't so recent, but I feel like just you, you know, I, I have you as an advisor. And that was, if I was asked that question, like, like a year ago, I, that, you know, so recent, but I've had a couple of amazing recent girl boss moments since then because of you. But we were the first company you've advised. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's insane. I mean, I've been following you forever. You were at the Katie Couric when I... I five, was at your Katie Couric Five talk years show. ago when Girlboss came out, Cindy was in the front row at <laughs> like Katie Couric when, when she had a show called Katie. She was in the front row. Seriously. No, I've been, I mean, I was a nasty gal shopper, like early, early days. And, you know, that moment where I was like, I remember you following me and I was like, holy shit, Sophia's following me? Like what, what happened, why? And you, like, you've even said to me, like, I don't even know how I found you, but 
I found you, and then you slid into my DM. I didn't know you at Katie Couric. It was years later. No, no. And and then you also didn't realize that I was at the Girl Boss Netflix I know. press thing. They flew like, you in as an influencer to talk yeah. about being a girl boss. And then, yeah, you were sitting across from me, and I still didn't know you. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, I mean, there were like 40 girls there, but still, it was, it's just so funny how 360 that all was. And so... That was a special time for me when you slid into my inbox and you were like, I want to be a part of this. And then I met you at your house and all of that was so amazing. And only good things have happened since that. So thank you. Thank you. You, you, you are my girl boss moment. <laughs> I think that's a first that I'm someone's girl boss moment. I need to be my own now. <laughs> Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really lovely. Yeah. And that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And thank you to Cindy for joining us. As always, I want to remind you to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It makes a difference. And I promise you, we read every comment. And if you'd like to get in touch with us directly, maybe you have some suggestions on who you'd like us to feature on the show or have any ideas on how we can improve, send us an email at podcasts at girlboss.com. That's it for now. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.